The World Series is over, and the Washington Nationals have made history. We're going to break it down on the latest edition of the Nosebleeds podcast. Jackson Heil, Jimmy Sullivan, Emmanuel Barbarian. Guys, what happened? Now one home team won a game, and the Nationals in seven over the Houston Astros. I think what happened is a good way to put it, because I, I still don't know how this happened. Um, I mentioned on our World Series preview podcast that I didn't think there was any chance that the Nationals could win this game in seven, and win this series in seven. Sorry, and somehow, some way, with that albatross of a bullpen, Davy Martinez and the Nats beat one of the best teams in baseball history in seven games with virtually no bullpen. Uh, it, it quite quite an impressive feat to say the least. And I mean, it, it was pretty fitting after how it all went down. I mean just with the way the postseason unraveled. But the storyline should not be about the Nationals. The storyline should be about how catastrophic of a failure this was by A.J. Hinch That's not fair. to lose the series. Give credit where credit's due. I gave my credit where it was due. But the, but the story should not be about the Nats right now. The, the story should be about how A.J. Hinch let this thing blow up in his face I disagree. with a lead. What a postseason run by the Nationals. Five elimination games, the story of their season, 19-31, and 31, <laughs> overcoming all odds. I think the story should be Washington Nationals all the way. Yes, the Hinch move was awful, but I think you just got to admire what the, the Nationals were able to The Hinch move cost them the World Series. Do you know yeah. that Garrett Cole would have come in and be effective? Probably, yeah. I, I, would, I would bet just about anything I own that Garrett Cole would have so came in So you're going to take effective. credit away from the Nationals for a move that could have worked? A move that would have worked. Well, now you know that in all, in all certainty. It would have worked. Cole hadn't pitched out of the bullpen. Well, you know, you know another team will have Garrett Cole fresh for spring training. Game Limits eight, the they have a fresh for game yeah, eight. Yeah, game eight, game eight, game eight's tonight. By the way, I don't know if you guys knew about Nine that. Nine game series. <laughs> no, look, I mean, I, I think the bet is you bring in a guy like Eric Cole, right? It, it's sort of like Madison Bumgarner a couple years ago. You bring him in, and you at least figure, you know, yeah, Madison Bumgarner went five innings in that game seven in 2014, and Garrett Cole maybe couldn't have done that. But could you get two innings out of Garrett Cole the other night? Absolutely. There's, he was ready to go. There's no reason why. This is the last game of your season. Like you're all in, you're all hands on deck at this point. Like the re- there is no reason not to use Garrett Cole in that situation. And yes, Will Harris has been awesome. Don't get me wrong; he was a stopper all year, and he had a great postseason. And he made a good pitch. To and Kendrick. he made a good pitch. But my God, you've got Garrett Cole out there. I mean, there's no excuse why he should not come into that game. None. Unless I actually he absolutely understand couldn't. Hinch's explanation that a starting pitcher who's not used to it needs a fresh inning with the lead, but they had the lead. And if you were all that in on going to your bullpen, and you were all that in to the extent where you had to pull Zach Greinke, a pitcher who was grooving, a pitcher who made one mistake all night, you may as well have brought Cole in with a fresh I, inning. I, I don't buy the fresh inning argument. I, I, I really don't from Hinch because you're talking about a guy in Garrett Cole who has been inhumane the entire postseason. Really, actually, he's been inhumane since May where he went 20-something starts with a 19-0 and record. And I'm not a record guy, but that says a lot. You're talking about the best pitcher on the planet right now who has faced all types of situations this year and all types of adversity in the postseason in terms of going up against the best lineups in baseball, a lineup that he shut down in Game 5. It doesn't even matter. You don't even need multiple innings out of him. You need to put your best pitcher in the highest leverage situation. And at that point in the game, leading by one run with the tying run on base... And the go-ahead run at the plate, like we mentioned, it's either keep Granky in or go to Garrett Cole. Those are the only two logical options 
for A.J. Hinch at that point. I think you could maybe make an argument for going Osuna there. Maybe. But the only really quality move that A.J. Hinch could have made was staring him right in the face in Garrett Cole. And for some reason, he didn't pitch. And the the thing that sticks out to me is that Hinch said post game that he was only going to throw Garrett Cole when he had a lead. You had a lead. Yeah. You were up 2-1. Not a fresh inning. You were up 2-1 in a big spot. Oh, stop with this fresh inning You think nonsense. pitchers are robots. These pitchers are creatures Garrett Cole of is a robot. I'm not sure L- about let's, that. Let's be real about that. Garrett Cole was not a human being. And we're ignoring the real move, the which was to months. stick with Zach Granke. Because there was no sign of him slowing down. He makes one mistake the entire night. The Nationals looked foolish against Zach Granke. And he wasn't even getting worked up until that point in the game. So, sure, you, you could see Cole in the bullpen and say, okay, that's the move, that's the move. I think the move was to ride with the guy that's been absolutely outstanding, dynamite, perfect so far. But you know why the Nationals won five elimination games? Because no matter what, they rode with their best, right? right. You go to game seven, Max Scherzer not 100% with, like, D-plus stuff and still getting probably B-plus results. He only gives up two runs. I don't know how. He was giving up rockets all night, but they rode with their best, right? They brought in Corbin in relief. They finished the game with their best arms out of the bullpen. They always went with their best in the big games. Houston didn't do that. I I don't care what you use, how you look at it. Your best option in that spot is Garrett Cole. And look, if he proves to you otherwise, fine. Pull the trigger. Get him out. Go to Harris anyway, which they might have wound up having to do. But you can't go to, into a Game 7 where there's literally no tomorrow, where there's no next series to think about, and not use your best pitcher. There is no excuse for that whatsoever. And look, I get A.J. Hinch's explanation, but it doesn't make it. I understand where he's coming from, and I think he's wrong. Because you can't... Have him in the bullpen in that situation. You have to use your best players in the best games. The Nationals did that. The Astros didn't. And that's a big part of why where we're at right now with the Nationals hosting a parade so and the Astros not. Let's flip it to the Nationals' side and what they did well because it seemed every time the Nationals needed a timely hit this postseason, they got it. They had their backs against the wall on so many different occasions. They were four outs from losing the wild card game, and they rally against Hayter, and they end up winning the World Series in a game they trailed in the seventh inning. And who else but Howie Kendrick, who hit the Grand Slam to advance them past the Dodgers in L.A., coming through with that line drive off the foul ball. Frankly, you don't know how he hit it because it was a perfectly executed pitch by Harris. We can talk about the move all we want, but the reliever executed the pitch that was supposed to be made. And Howie Kendrick hits the foul ball, gives the Nationals a lead. And then how about Patrick Corbin? You talk about riding with your best. He was arguably the MVP of that Game 7. Three scoreless innings to keep the game right where it was. He was terrific, and Davey Martinez deserves so much credit for how he handled the bullpen during the series, especially in the first two games in Houston, because there were spots early in that game where Strasburg and Scherzer were both in trouble in different sequences. He lets his guys go out. He lets his starters go get the job done, like he did, which he have to with that bullpen. You, you just can't pull the trigger that early. And then in Game 7, like you mentioned, E-Man, Corbin who hadn't pitched since Game 4, is on perfect rest. And this was always going to be the plan for them. It, it was Scherzer to Corbin to whoever you want. It was similar to what the Cubs did when they won the World Series. It was Hendricks to Lester to Chapman. How are you going to get it done? How are you going to get 27 outs? And there's, the Scherzer to Corbin was perfect. Corbin's stuff out of the bullpen just plays, too. I mean, he didn't have a great postseason. He had a few tough starts, including his start in the World Series as well. But... Boy, he came up huge because those three innings, obviously, they're critical, but it was once they got the lead, 
shutdown inning. Once they had another run, another shutdown inning. Just so critical to get those type of innings in those type of spots, especially in do-or-die situations. So, I mean, that that was a difference maker. And give Davey Martinez so much credit for how he was able to manipulate his starters to pitch. I mean, Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin all pitched out of the bullpen this postseason. And Corbin did it on multiple appearances. And that's how they were going to have to win, and that's how they did win. And, hey, you're right. Corbin didn't have the best postseason, but I think arguably you could make the case – that him coming out of the bullpen and giving those innings time and time again in the postseason was more important to the way the Nationals were made up than him giving you four or five good innings as a starter because they really didn't have the bullpen depth to compete with some of these teams, and they were able to compete by using their pitching staff in unconventional ways, and Corbin was the guy who was able to adapt and flourish out of the bullpen. And it's not at all dissimilar to what the Red Sox did last year, bringing their starters out of the bullpen in all those totally. big games, right? Rick Porcello, Nathan Avaldi gave them huge innings. Obviously, Avaldi with the seven innings in Game 3 last year. So we've seen now, back-to-back years, teams have won the World Series by getting creative with their bullpens, right? Not necessarily going to the conventional, okay, starter's going to go five innings, then we're going to bring in our top arms out of the bullpen. That can work, and there's no reason why it can't, obviously, because we've seen teams be incredibly successful with it over the past few years, but it shows you that there are multiple ways to win a World Series, right? You can use your starters out of the bullpen. You can go to your you know, big arms out of the bullpen like we've seen in the past. You know, A team like the Astros probably had more of that than a team like the Nationals. But it shows you that while a bullpen really helps you in the playoffs, it's not entirely make or break if you have a weaker bullpen. It doesn't mean you can't still win a championship. The Red Sox did it last year. The Nationals did it this year. It shows you that the bullpen is not about who's back there as much as how you use it. And the Nationals used it really well, and the Astros didn't as much. And that was kind of a big difference in the Nationals being able to win that game seven and also the series as a whole. So, guys, Nationals in seven. Got my prediction. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Congrats. Did not get Max Scherzer as the MVP. He pitched well. He pitched well and, and a warrior, by the way, to be able to come back after not being able to pick stuff up, not being able to move, essentially, before Game 5. To Game 7, five innings of two-run ball when he didn't have his stuff. So he pitched very well. So Nationals in seven, if I could revise, Steven Strasburg, who, guys, he was unbelievable in these playoffs. And you talk so much about postseason heroes when you look at starting pitchers, Madison Bumgarner, all these guys of the past ancient history, but Steven Strasburg, this postseason put a cherry on top, but you look at his postseason track record now, this guy's unhittable in October, and he's only padded a track record that's going to serve him really well when he opts out of that seven-year, $175 million deal and gets something even bigger. It's funny because his most important spot in the postseason was coming into the wild card game out of relief to keep that game where it was at 3-1. I mean, if he doesn't do what he does in the postseason, I mean, you're talking about the Nationals. They would have had to go to their bullpen if it wasn't for being able to use Strasburg, and they probably end up losing that game. But this dude is going to get paid. Oh, my God, he's going to get paid. And it's so impressive just to go out and watch him because every start he got better in the postseason. Like, literally every single start he got better. I mean, you go back to Game 5 against L.A., he gives up, Gives up two, what was it, three runs? Two runs? Yeah, he gives up three runs on the Kike Hernandez home run in the second inning and then just settled in and was locked in the rest of the way. And he keeps the game close enough where the, the Nationals can come back. And then in game six against Houston, when backs against the wall, again, he gives up a big run. But he gives, start of the his, series. he gives his team a chance 
to go out and win it, and then he pitches into the ninth inning, which is just remarkable. So, I mean, he, he is just otherworldly at this point, especially when it comes to the postseason. And, I mean, talk about a guy who's going to get paid. I mean, he honestly might get as much as Cole at this rate. You looked at Bregman's home run where he carried the bat all the way to first base in game six, and you thought maybe, okay, this is Houston's night. They're just going to close out mm-hmm. the World Series dynasty in the making two World Series in three years. And Strasburg's ability, like he did all playoffs, to settle in, give his team a chance, and then Soto's home run where he follows suit right in Bregman's face and carries the bat to first base, basically set the tone of, okay, we're comfortable here. We can get the job done. It doesn't matter where we are. We can win those two games. Strasburg's a guy who I know he was so highly touted coming into the major leagues, and I feel like everyone doesn't talk enough about him because he hasn't been like best pitcher in baseball status like he was expected to be. But when he's been healthy, this guy has been among like the best 10 pitchers in baseball for his career. And it also talks to the absolutely ridiculous expectations we put on prospects sometimes because when we, <laughs> we bring certain people up and it's like, oh, this guy is the next whatever. So, right, somebody like Juan Soto comes up. 20, he turned 21 in the World Series, and he's just mashing, and everybody expects the next great prospect to be the next Juan Soto. Guess what? It doesn't work like that. Steven Strasburg, like you said, probably a top 10 pitcher in the league this year, would you say? Um, he's definitely up there in that discussion. And you look at his postseason numbers now. Nine games pitched, eight games started, 55 and a third innings, 6-2 and two with a 1-4-6 ERA and 71 strikeouts. A whip under one. I mean, this guy, I, it didn't get talked about in the past because, frankly, the Nationals' postseason history was terrible. But now, when you look at them this year, he kind of has like a career's worth of postseason outings, if you will. This guy's one of the great playoff pitchers. He's becoming in that Bumgarner, you know, Scherzer realm where you give him the ball and you say, all right, go get me a win, and he can go do it. And you look at, I think it was the 2014 NLDS, and again, it gets overshadowed because the Nationals lost the series, but the guy threw like 14 scoreless innings, yeah. and it didn't get mm-hmm. talked about. So <laughs> it's just crazy what this guy's been able to do. A worthy World Series MVP, but there were almost like three MVPs for Washington because you had – they're big hitters consistently throughout the postseason coming up time and time again. And I think they were the only team where you could say that all postseason. The middle of their order came through every time. Juan Soto, unreal postseason. That guy has a 18, 19-year career left in front of us that could be among the all-time greats. It's unbelievable to watch his talent unfold on the biggest stage. And then Anthony Rendon, who's going to get a bag as well like these other guys, put on an absolute clinic. Took us like what? What do we have? Fourteen minutes right now. Almost fifteen. It, it took us fourteen minutes to mention Anthony Rendon, who <laughs> might even be the National League MVP this year. I mean, I, I, I'm so happy for Rendon because that that's a guy who's been underrated criminally over the last two years, and the fact that he was able to explode the way he did. There was a stat that in the seventh inning or later in elimination games for Rendon this postseason, I mean, he was like at one point like five for five with like two home runs a couple walks, a few doubles. Like, the guy was nails every time they needed it. I mean, talk about how big that home run was in Game 6 after that whole complete mess of the call against Trey Turner when he's running down the first baseline and the interference is called as the ball hits him on a terrible throw by Brad Peacock and then the next batter, Rendon, comes in a 1-0 count and just hammers one into the Crawford boxes. So that, that home run was bigger than people were talking about people have kind of forgotten about it because game seven obviously happened but I mean that could have easily unraveled for the Nationals and 
he just comes up and steps up and hits another big home run. I mean, did it so many times this postseason when they needed. I mean, off Kershaw in Game Five of the NLDS, and then big hits in St. Louis too when they needed it. And then the wild card game, obviously, it was just it was so terrific to watch Rendon because he's truly one of the game's best talents. He's going to get paid a ton of money, Jimmy. I'm sure as a Mets fan, you as a guy who would want him, but. I mean, this guy is an absolute stud. Who wouldn't want him? You'd be a moron not to want him on your team. I mean, the Mets are not going to spend like that because <laughs> that's just what the Mets do. Um, since we took 14 minutes to mention Rendon, and it'll take us 16 minutes, I want to mention Mr. National himself, Ryan Zimmerman, yeah. because this is a guy who, you know, speaking of the Mets, he was to the Nationals what David Wright was for the Mets, came up about the same time, and he's really been an ambassador for this Nats team. And he's in the twilight of his career now, and you know he hit about 200 in the World Series. But you go back even to Game 1. Astros scored two runs in the first inning. Who hits that home run in the second inning? It's and him. it kind of changes the series, Ryan Zimmerman. So this is a guy who has really catapulted this franchise. And not on his own, obviously, but um, he's been kind of the driving force of driving this team to legitimacy after they moved from Montreal. So I'm just so happy for him that he's going to be able to get a ring. And he's got an uncertain future, too. But, you know, if it if this was it for him in Washington, him ending it with a World Series, I just could not be more happy for him. And, you know, obviously with my team playing him 19 times a year, you see, especially when I was younger, how good of a player he was and what he meant to this Nationals franchise. So for him to get a ring this year, I think was ultimately very fitting. Also, the, the 2014 Tigers rotation is now all has a World Series with different teams. Except the Tigers. Except the Tigers. <laughs> it's honestly phenomenal when you look at the talent on that team, and they're almost like a breeding ground for future greatness. Who, who did they lose to again? Uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, right. The team Sorry, that's about to lose TV that. rights to the Nationals. Oh, they don't lose TV <laughs> rights. Just, just money. Just money. <laughs> All right. So we, we said the podcast would be two-pronged today. So I think we did that Nationals World Series title justice. We are going to continue throughout the offseason with free agency, hot stove, podcast breakdowns. We're very much looking forward to it. Baseball lives on. It does not end here. But there are a couple storylines to dive into before the offseason even begins. And a couple of them affect the local teams, the Yankees and the Mets, very much. So let's start with some qualifying offer slash opt-out type news. Today, the report from John Heyman comes down that Aroldis Chapman wants to work on an extension with the Yankees. I think it makes sense in the sense that if you're not going to get an extension with the team, they're probably not pursuing you in free agency if you opt out. I think it's safe to say if the Yankees tack on years to his deal, that would almost be like negotiating a contract in free agency. And then if they say, we can't get this done, Chapman probably opts out and he walks. And then something me and Jackson were debating on the way in, Heyman did say that the Yankees would extend the qualifying offer if he opts out, which I'm not sure is allowed. I don't think they can do that. I I, I might be completely in the wrong here, but my remembrance of it is if, if a player opts out of a deal, he is not eligible for a qualifying offer. And the interesting thing about that would be is if the Yankees could offer a qualifying offer to Chapman after he opts out, there would be a no-lose situation for the Yankees here. They either get their closer on an extension, they get graphic compensation yeah. if he walks, or they get him on a one-year $17 million deal, which is what the qualifying offer would be, which is a great the, value for Chapman. The only thing I can think of is that he would be eligible because he didn't get it the first time around because he was traded midseason, and that made him ineligible. Jimmy Evan Vaughn. Yeah, so I, I just looked up the FAQs on the qualifying offers, and this might have changed since this was written, but apparently players, if they opt out of their current contracts, can 
get they the can. QL. Yeah. Okay. That's wow. Interesting. That that's an advantageous situation for the Yankees, I think, because first of all, they're going to get something if Chapman walks. Second of all, there's a very low chance he does take that qualifying offer, but I did state that possibility. And then there's also the possibility they extend him all together. But I do think Chapman's a guy who is coming off one of the best seasons of his career, probably wants to maximize on an opportunity to hit free agency here. He could define the closers market. I'm not sure what the closers market looks like after what happened to Craig Kimbrell last year. But if I'm the Yankees with the bullpen depth they currently have, and especially if they're not looking to blow past the luxury tax and they're looking to add starting pitching depth this offseason, I, I think the case could be made that you let him walk because you have a closer sitting on the roster in Zach Britton. You have several other elite relievers sitting in there, and you have salary flexibility if Chapman walks that you could spend on a Garrett Cole or someone yeah. of that nature. First off, just back to the qualifying offer, it's very rare for – someone to opt out and get a qualifying offer because presumably if you have a contract and you have a contract where you have an option to opt out, you probably have already received the qualifying offer. So that, that that's where it comes from. But back to your point about Chapman, I don't think it makes really much sense at all for the Yankees to keep him if he decides to opt out personally because especially if the qualifying offer is available, just give him the offer and let him walk. You have so many options in the bullpen. You're going to have so many more options coming up, too, especially depending on what happens with Davey Garcia this year. They can use him there. Loisica is an electric arm out of the pen if he ever figures out how to command the ball. They have options in the bullpen. They still have one of the best bullpens in baseball, but they need to go out and get a starter. I agree. A frontline starter. It has to be one of Cole or Strasburg for the Yankees, without a doubt in my mind, because they were missing that horse in the postseason. I'm one of the guys who was of the belief that you can win with bullpenning and I still think that you can and I still think the Yankees probably could have won this year had things just played in their favor if they got a few big hits here or there but I do think that a Garrett Cole and a Steven Strasburg has to be priorities number one two and three for the Yankees and it probably makes some favorites going into next year with the bullpen they have the lineup they have returning basically their entire lineup returning aside from one other guy we'll talk about Didi Gregorius who a qualifying offer could be extended to and then what would be a dynamic starting rotation if you add Cole or Strasburg to that mix? We do have a quote from Hal Steinbrenner. It has begun, the Yankees cost-cutting. If the 2020 season was to start tomorrow, he tells the New York Post, I would feel considerably more confident than I did a year ago at this time. Quote, we will have both Severino and Montgomery back. We know that Herman can pitch effectively at this level. He did mention Herman, who's been a ghost. And we know Paxton can be the guy we were hoping for when we made that trade. We have Tanaka, Hap, Loisica, and perhaps Garcia at some point. A very good rotation. So Steinbrenner is opening that door for the Yankees to not pursue that starter, not have like a 2009 offseason, which we knew he would do. The question is, is that true, the quote, or does he just use that as a mask and then go out and make the move? So I just did some quick contract research, and the 2020 team, as of right now, no moves, no acquisitions has almost $200 million in active payroll wrapped up right okay. now. The 2020 tax threshold will be $208 million, So They have to go past it. They have to either go past it or get really, really creative. Well, let's and, say, and I don't think if if you go really creative and you stay below that threshold that they're going to be able to improve this team enough to bypass the Astros Jimmy, and go win a World Series. Does that include 
contracts that have what about now Chapman? expired. Yeah, so um, Chapman is. I don't Chapman see... isn't included because he has an opt yeah. out. Chapman opt out. Yeah. Uh, I looked up Didi. He's not on this list, so it looks like okay. it's just the players who are definitely under contract for next year. Okay, so Chapman's off that list. Yep. So you have two hundred million wrapped up. Yeah, if you're going to go get Gary Cole, you're going to have to blow past it. And the Yankees did go past the luxury tax this past season. I do not think that that is something that should scare them. There are different tiers to the luxury tax, so they may not want to go past the third tier, but they could go past the first or second because there are various penalties for going past the third tier. So it really depends on whether the Yankees still value the luxury tax the way they did in 2015, 2016 when they were trying to get below. Yeah, so Chapman actually is on here. I beg your pardon on this one. So if he were to go off the books, that would be $17 million freed up that they could go use and probably have about $30 million a year to go give a guy like Eric Cole. So they can go get one of those guys, right? Cole, Strasburg, whoever they choose. They could probably go get one of those guys for 30 or maybe get two of those guys for 15 But if we're talking about adding one starter, obviously you want to go out and get the big fish, like a Garrett Cole, like a Steven Strasburg. So they'll have probably just enough money to give that money to one yeah. guy and, and hope for the best. Half measures don't help the Yankees nope. at this no. point. There's no reason. They have a ton of half measures. They, they need to go for the full cup here, and the only two that fit that bill is... Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. And here's the thing for the Yankees that's a little tight because Paxton's a free agent after next year. Right. So you got to think ahead here. If you're going to be paying him a lot of money, then that kind of ties you up in two big contracts for guys who are. Bodes well for them because he's probably going to have a monster year. Well, does it bode well for them, though? I mean, because that's going to be a monster year. Not salary wise, but I mean, production wise for 2020. I would put I would put a good hefty sum on Paxton having a very good season if he can stay healthy for sure. Yeah, yes, I mean, he, he's a stud. But you, you got to think about him for the future because if he's gone after next year, after you pay Cole, then you're kind of back where you started. Honestly, which isn't a huge deal uh-huh. because it gives you this one year window to go in a World Series, but you got to go do it. That's a good point. I also think Cole's better than anything you have now. By a mile, so I'm he, not even saying he, they shouldn't do it. Let's I'm, say I'm not, Paxton walks. Clearly not saying your that. rotation would still be better with Cole, Severino, and whoever else yeah. than it would be right Com- now. Completely agree. And I look, I agree with you, Hal. They have good pitching depth right now. <laughs> uh, like I agree in that regard. And if you add a guy like Cole or Strasburg to that mix, it becomes that much more elite. Like Severino as your one, Paxton as your two, Tanaka as your three, and whoever else. That's a good rotation. But you add Cole to it, and it's almost unbeatable. That's yeah. the difference. No half measures. Go and get it done. Make yourselves favorites. Be the Yankees. That's what it comes down and, to. And the wild card in the Cole negotiation is that you know eventually you're going to have to pay Judge, Sanchez, totally. Severino a lot more than you're paying them right now. And so to do that, what they may have to do is they'll give Cole a longer deal, but they might have to give him an opt-out after like three or four years just so they can extend these guys like Judge and Sanchez and kind of keep their core intact because I think that's their main focus here. But, yeah, I mean, look, can you go under the luxury tax threshold and win? Yeah, but we saw the Nationals this offseason, right? They spent on their stars. Scherzer, Strasburg, all these guys, they spent money to go out and get. And, look, you could talk about efficiency and analytics, which I love to death, but ultimately – Players go out and win games, and the Nationals went out and spent for those players. And Corbin. the Yankees have to go out and exactly Patrick Corbin, and the the Yankees have to go out and they need to go do the exact same thing. And the analytics say that you should give Garrett Cole a lot of money. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what the analytics say too. And the uh, listen up, say, Cashman. The listen analytics up. say that the surplus value for Cole on those the first bag. three or four years of that deal, even though the back end is going to hurt him for sure, because it always does. 
you're going to get the surplus value on those four-plus years. And if you think you have a contender for the next two or three years, which the Yankees clearly do, you got to maximize it. You capitalize on windows. It doesn't matter, and, and I understand CC ended up getting a second deal. It doesn't matter that 2013 and 14 were bad for CC Sabathia because you capitalize on 09. You, you need those front-end years with a core that can win where you get the most out of that player. And I don't care if you're paying Cole at age 35, $30 million for him to be a 3.5 or 4 ERA type guy. The value will be capitalized on, and that's what you got to look at it as. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I, I think you go out and you you get your money, and you give your money to Garrett Cole. But that's just me. But I, I think also, I mean, this is a team that could go into next year. Could they win without Garrett Cole? Sure. But the other thing you have to bet on, right, is that if the Astros are in it, they're going to go out and trade for somebody. You know, if these other teams are in it, they're going to go out and trade for somebody. So if you get that piece off the market in the off season, you don't even make that a need. You don't even have to do that at the deadline. That's what everybody was calling for the Yankees to do, and they didn't do it. So. The other teams get better. Do you blow past them in the process? Or do you stay the same, you stay complacent, and then some team pops up and it's going to be better than you? Because we're all talking about Houston as the team they're going to be competing with next year. Maybe Houston takes a step back, and there's another team that just turns into a juggernaut next year. Let's say the Red Sox have a great offseason. Let's say Tampa's back in it next year. There are a lot of good teams in the American League, so you don't want to stay complacent and not make the moves necessary. Here's the thing. I, I don't think Cole's going to be a Yankee, personally. Me too. I, no, I, I think he's going out west. I think the Angels, who really had, to, I think, one pitcher throw over 100 innings this year, are going to just throw everything at Cole. He's going to go back home where he pitched in college, pitched in high school, and that's where he's going to end up. I think Steven Strasburg is the more realistic option for the Yankees, and I, I think that he's a guy that would obviously be a huge difference maker for them. But I, I view the more realistic option of the two is Steven Strasburg, without a doubt. I think the one mistake the Yankees could make here is going after Madison Bumgarner. I think that would be a massive mistake, giving him a lot of money. Even with his postseason success, he is a shell of what he once was. That That's the one move I would steer clear of. It's either Strasburg, Cole, or nothing for me if I'm the New York Yankees. Interesting times for the Yankees, and it should be interesting to see. The one thing I want to throw out there about these free agents, a lot of people will value these reports that are going to start swirling because there's going to be a time where you think Cole's going to get signed and the free agent market's going to drag on. We're going to hear all these reports about all oh, where he's most comfortable pitching, where he used to pitch, how he has West Coast ties, where he wants to go. Whoever gives Cole the most money is getting Garrett Cole. That's what these negotiations come down to. I don't want to hear about his West Coast ties. You may have thought Manny Machado wanted to be a Yankee his whole career. You may have thought this. You may have thought that. Whoever gives him the best deal with Scott Boris as the agent, that is who is getting Garrett Cole's services. So there's going to be a lot of confusion this offseason. Note that these players want to set the market and set their own value. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. And also, if you get Garrett Cole, right, and you let a guy like Aroldis Chapman walk, do you address that hole in the bullpen? I mean, you've got young arms, right? If Loisaga figures out how to throw it straight, he's going to be a really good arm out of that bullpen. You know, is Adam Adovino going to go back to where what he was in the regular season last year before he completely fell apart in the playoffs? That'll be interesting to see. I think their bullpen will still be really good as it is, but you do maybe have a bit of a weakness there. You kind of have to find a closer, and they can do that with the internal options. They could, they could you know, pick pretty much anybody, but... It'll be interesting to see with the Yankees. They get Cole. It does open up another weakness, but I still think the starting pitching in the playoffs last year, we saw the flaw that they weren't able to give length, and that hurt the bullpen. So it hurt you in, in several different ways beyond the ones you thought of initially. So I think 
that's the thing you have to address. And if they don't address it, and by the way, I I'm okay with them throwing money at Bumgarner. I think he's a change of scenery away from being really good again. I, I've I don't know. I felt I felt that way about Bumgarner for a couple of years. I just think he. I don't want to say shut it off because the Giants were bad, but it's different pitching on a team like that and pitching on a team like the Yankees where you're in contention for a championship. And I think that's the type of thing that will really fuel him when he comes back and he could he could go back to being what he was before 2017 and the doom buggy accident and everything that happened. He's also cheaper. Yes. So if you get someone, you could probably get Bumgarner in addition. I'm not saying the Yankees are making multiple moves within the starting rotation, but he's definitely not costing you close to what Strasburg or – Colwood, absolutely not. One one more note uh, based on qualifying offers, and we're going to have plenty of episodes to dissect everything that's going on. Didi Gregorius could get the qualifying offer from the Yankees. I actually think he will, definitely, because he'll, he's a free agent. $17 million is about value for him for one year, and he kind of hurt his value a lot by, you know, getting hurt <laughs> and yeah. it's not his fault but he's coming off the Tommy John didn't have a productive season had a decline in every which way wasn't as good defensively so while Didi would have been probably the most coveted shortstop on the market this offseason and really had a nice contract multi-year for himself wherever it was now it, it's a little bit more up in the air so did the Yankees want a one-year reunion with Didi and I think he'd take the qualifying offer a nice redemption tour one year Reset your value at $17 million, more than you made last year. Works out for both parties. But I think if he declines that or if the Yankees didn't offer the qualifying offer, which is a possibility, he's out the door. I don't think they want him back. I could see them kind of renegotiating a deal at a lower term. That would be the only way I could see him coming back if he declines the qualifying offer. But I don't know. It's a slippery slope with that because you just – you just don't know the direction that the Yankees want to go in because I'm not sure they want to make Torres their full-time shortstop. I think they like him at second base for mm. some reason. I, I think I think, I think they view him as a franchise shortstop. I think they do. I'm not saying I'm not saying that they don't view him as that guy, but I I feel like they liked the infield the way it was this year because you also have question marks about whether Urshel is going to repeat like he was, but you also have question marks at first base. I I don't know. It, it really is. It's a tough slope to go down because. I think the Yankees would be better off without Didi, to be honest, because it just it opens up a lot more possibilities for them and a lot more flexibility in the infield because they just even though they have kind of a laid out infield right now, they they had like seven competent infielders last year. And it's tough to get these guys in a regular rotation. I mean, Voigt fell out of the fold last year completely at the end of the season and he's a guy who's been really productive. And he'll be healthy. And he'll be healthy this year, so I mean, you got to get guys regular time. I'm not usually a believer in that, but you, these guys have to be on a regular routine when it comes to the regular season. And if, if the playing time is going to be all over the place and DJ LeMay is going to be playing all over the place again, it, it, it's going to be tough for these guys to stay in a consistent rhythm, and that's going to lead to struggles, I think, at times. So I, I honestly think that the Yankees would be better off without Didi this year, but... Again, who knows how much because they, they love him as a clubhouse guy, clearly. He is a great morale boost. And, Jimmy, you mentioned cost before with the starting pitching. Glaber, they're still playing nothing. So you move him to shortstop. DJ LeMay, he was a natural second baseman. He's a gold glove candidate there this year, even though not playing there as much. And then you have your depth at first base with guys like Voight and Duhar maybe coming back could be a corner infield guy slash DH. Rochelle at third, you have the infield depth, and then you wouldn't have to pay someone $17 million that you don't necessarily have to pay. 
You know, Didi last year, when you look at it and we're, we're thinking about, is he going to come back? Is he going to leave? You know, he was kind of average when he came back. You know, he wasn't great coming off the Tommy John, and I think he'll probably be better in 2020. But you also have to decide, okay, him at the position versus Glaber at the position. Obviously, you take Glaber, right? So now you move to second, right? Glaber would have played second. Now LeMahieu moves up to second. Well, LeMahieu is going to probably finish top 10 in the MVP voting this year. You put Voight back at first, full season healthy. Well, he's been a good hitter the rest of the time. 380 OBP. Yeah, yeah, 380 on base, you know, 900 OPS or whatever it was. And then you go to third base and you have Urshela and Andujar. And by the way, Andujar basically didn't play last year. So if he comes back healthy, you know, he was a guy who almost won rookie of the year. And you roll the dice. Either you roll the dice. Urshela continues to be a star or Andujar takes his place. And that's a guy who was runner up for rookie of the year. So. These are good problems to have, but it, it, the Yankees certainly don't need Didi Gregorius. I think that's what it comes down to. It, it, they may bring him back and may work out for both sides. He may have a rebound on the qualifying offer, but I don't think they need him. I, yeah, I don't think they need him either, and and I don't think they really did, and this is a point where, like you were saying, Jackson, there's nine infielders on the Yankees. They're not all going to play, so why would you bring them all back? I mean, and granted, look, they could all get hurt like last year, but the chances of that happening again, what are they? They're very low, right? That was right? a wacky year. That was a yeah. wacky year with a record number of IL stints. I don't think that's going to happen again. So you go in with five good infielders for four spots. You let third base battle itself out, and you leave the rest of the positions as is, and I think the Yankees will be really happy with that arrangement because you've got a 23-year-old Glaber Torres at shortstop. You've got DJ LeMahieu, who's one of the best hitters in the league at second. You've got Luke Voigt, who's a wild card. It could be really good if, he- if he's healthy at first, and you got a good battle at third base between two guys who could start for anybody. Glaber's 23. Wow. Yeah, he's really? a year older. We won't hear 22 oh, anymore. God, I can't hear he's that. He's going to be 23. When is when is his birthday actually? I got to look this up now. I actually think it's coming up. He's getting awfully close to a new year. 23. Yeah, December 13th he will turn Guys, don't forget about Greg Bird at first base. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it just it makes no sense for the Yankees to bring him back no. honestly. From a from a baseball perspective. It doesn't make any sense to bring Didi back. Well, there's been fun, guys. Good World Series recap. Good analysis of what the Yankees could do. And then we'll get into the Mets as well on future episodes. What they're going to do with Zach Wheeler. Much more. And the offseason, hopefully the Mets have a new manager coming up. I would hope, yeah. (laughs) Maybe it'll be Carlos Beltran or Jessica Mendoza or a bombshell candidate. So this has been Nosebleeds, Jackson Heil, Jimmy Sullivan, Emmanuel Barbari. We'll see you next time.